0: and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor-guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Welcome to Democracy-ish. I'm Danielle Moody.
2: And I'm Mujahideen.
1: And we are so excited uh, to be doing kind of a two-part democracy-ish conversation on the writer and actor strikes that have kind of joined forces. Um, to talk about the needs of workers, and we're really excited to welcome to Democracy Ish Rafael Casal, who is a poet, actor, writer, rapper, educator, and showrunner of the stars hit show *Blind Spotting*, uh, based on his movie that debuted in 2018. And now, as part of the course, I will turn it over to Waj for a movie phone intro.
2: Well, I was going to do my movie phone intro, but you did such a wonderful job introducing oh, that's him true. that you stole my <laughs> thunder. But what, what, what I will say and how I will flex is that Rafael, most importantly, is from the Bay Area and specifically from the Yeesh. East Bay. Yeesh. And anyone who knows me knows that any opportunity I can get to talk about the East Bay in particular, uh, and specifically creatives from the East Bay, I relish because all of you, New Yorkers and LAites, have dominated far too long this thing called the creative industry. Uh, Raphael and I, we first met four years ago in Vancouver outside uh, uh, of a food truck where we uh, tolerated uh, some interesting tacos. Um, and then recently at South by Southwest, uh, speaking about season two of bl- Blindspotting. Here we are, Rafael, fast forward, and it's a historic strike. The first time in 60 years that writers and actors in this crazy town called Hollywood are striking, and they're demanding. Wait for it, living wages. So and I, before we get into it, just so you you know, I, I just want folks to really understand. You know, some people might say, "Ah, oh, who cares?" It's these actors, fancy schmancy pants. Eighty seven percent of actors, folks, earn less than twenty six thousand dollars. All right, and so for folks who aren't in the no Rafael, why are actors and writers for the first time in six years willing to go without a paycheck literally outside of their own bosses' studios striking what's happening
3: i think we're striking for the same reason that nurses are striking all over the country for the same reason that amazon employees have been trying to unionize for the same reason that we've we've seen this across the country and and what's amazing and what's what's sort of the advantage of hollywood is that we get press and you recognize us and so we get attention but it's essentially just a microcosm of the same thing we've been talking about for the last 20 years there's a dwindling middle class we're experiencing extreme extreme wealth in this country and extreme poverty and nothing in the middle and so we're we're finally having a very public union strike not unlike many of the other ones going on either that have happened and been thwarted by big companies or that are coming that are echoing essentially the same thing we're asking for which is we're losing the that that mass majority middle we're losing the ability to make a living wage to build on that sort of american dream that we all grown up supporting and grown up sort of excited to obtain at some point. And now we've got multiple generations that cannot do it. And I think Hollywood is just the latest example of that sort of that promise or that dream of America failing us.
1: You know, I think that what is really extraordinary about this moment is everything that you just said, Raphael, which is that for the first time, and I think ever, right, in in our lifetime, we're looking at Generation Z, and we're looking at alpha that is coming behind them and recognizing that they are not going to have any of the benefits any of the things um like we in in our generation you know had parents or grandparents that were able to thrive off of pensions right that became like a a a fable in in the minds of, of you know of generation x right uh and and others and i think in the same way what writers and and actors are saying is just like we're looking at a multi-multi billion dollar industry. How is it that I just learned that the average writer is making like sixty nine thousand dollars a year? Meanwhile, I'm looking at the Bob Igers of the world that are making seventy five thousand dollars a day. Mm. And I just I want I want you to have the opportunity to explain, like. The right sizing, when I say right sizing of this, you know, this trickle down that never seems to fucking come when it comes to those that are hoarding money at the top to everybody else, what is it that is being asked for in this moment? And why is it so important and reflective of the overarching, greedy, capitalistic times that we're living in?
3: Yeah, I mean if you run the numbers that the total amount that the actors and writers are asking for is is like not even 1% of like it's so unbelievably small of a concession for them but it's we're we're really loud and so it would set a precedent for other unions for teachers unions for you know for UPS workers for for workers all around the country to reassess the way that they've been marginalized that we've been marginalized over the last 20 30 years right we've had massive economic growth in these companies we're seeing the first like mega hundred billionaire you know people and, and we see that and we kind of marvel at it. You know, it feels almost like mm-hmm. science fiction, but we don't think mm. about the real world consequences of being in a first world country with people that wealthy. And that that has to come from somewhere. And when you have mega wealth like that, you have mega deficits somewhere else. And what we're seeing is, all right, if you see the rate of increase in, in the economic prosperity of these Hollywood companies, what you also see is no rise in pay and also these massive... Um, uh, sort of redactions of pay, right? We no longer have residuals for television. Like it just doesn't exist. The entire time I've been in Hollywood, which has only been a couple years now, I don't get residuals. It's not a thing. That is like a fantasy of the '90s.
2: And they. Raphael, a very... I mean, before b- before you move on, can you explain to our listeners well, yeah. what exactly the residual system is or was? Yeah, was, I'll, do, yeah. I'll do my best, like layman's
3: version, because that's about the level of it I understand. Because it's also like it's a sci-fi fantasy to me at this point. But what <laughs> I understand is that like there was a there was an agreement between studios that was done with the unions. You know, let's just say it like was was fully active in the 90s where people were, you know, something would air on TV, it would go into reruns and we would get mm-hmm. this like mass residual. Then sort of when these streamers came about, they got d- special deals with unions under like new media deals. So they're not following the same rules as the other studios. They're not paying residuals to test out this streaming model. But they got such a long window that they got so big that now when it's time for us to go, hey, all right, we've proven that you're profitable. I mean... Beyond profitable, you're the juggernauts of the industry now. Join the original contracts that we all agreed to with the other studios. We gave you this grace period, a long grace period for you to build a new technology. But now they got so big, they're kind of just going fuck you. We don't have to, and that's what the strike is now. Is going hey, you you can't just not release your streaming numbers because if somebody is on a very popular show, meaning their value to the company is higher, you have to pay for that value that's how we that's how we deal with employment across the board pay me what i'm worth that's it i i'm doing more work i'm bringing in more equity for the company i should move up i should get stock options i should get you know that's how we build out retirement that's how we don't work till we drop and especially in an industry like acting or writing where so much of our job is Is prepping, pitching, and going out. Like we have to go out and look for work all the time. We're freelancers. We spend years trying to get the job, years trying to get a job. And then when you finally get one, it's six, eight months before the studio even pays you your first check. And then you work for a year trying to get the second half of that check. And so who can plan seven, eight years of a financial situation freelance? It's so difficult. And so we're just trying to get an equitable amount of money to be able to withstand this crazy freelance model that is being a writer or being an actor.
1: From The New Yorker staff writer Vincent Cunningham, a keenly observed novel of a young black man searching for his place in the world amidst a moment of historic change. Great Expectations is about David's 18 months working for the senator's presidential campaign. Along the way, David meets a myriad of people who raise a set of questions, questions of history, art, race, religion, and fatherhood, that force David to look at his own life anew and come to terms with his identity as a young black man and father in America. Inspired by the author's experiences working on Obama's 2008 presidential campaign, Cunningham uses a political campaign as his narrative backbone. Great Expectations will be one of the talked-about novels of the year, Colin McCann. Great Expectations is available wherever books are sold.
0: Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change a brand-new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves, real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts.
2: You know, I want people to step back for a second and and kind of just, even if you're not in the entertainment industry, why you should care, right? Because we're dealing with workers and and we're taping this on the historic day that UPS workers have, uh, thanks to the Teamsters, reached a historic deal, the best deal that they said they could get that actually gives them a living wage, right? So that you see that happening at UPS, you see Amazon workers, you see Starbucks workers. But I think people need to know what they're up against, right, Rafael? And and when you talk about these giants, Bob Iger, the head of Disney, when we talk about David Zasloff, the head of Warner Brothers, when you talk about Sarandos and Hastings, the head of Netflix, just so people have context, these folks make hundreds of millions of dollars. Zasloff made about a half a billion dollars, folks, in the past five years. Iger bought a quarter of a billion. Same thing with the the Netflix guys. And I want to give you a quote, Raphael, and I want your response to this. Sure. As you mentioned, the struggle just to survive, just to work, just to like literally pay your bills, because we, like you, we eat what we hunt, right? So there's fat, there's feast, and there's famine, as you know. Here's a quote from Bob Iger, the head of uh, Disney. While this was happening, he said uh, that he finds it to be very disruptive. Uh, he finds it uh, to be uh, unhelpful, uh, and he also said he finds the strike to be disturbing. Iger made $27 million last year. He just got his contract renewed till 2026. Allegedly, it was Bob Iger who also said this, and this is his quote allegedly, to, uh, to uh, a trade. The end game is to allow things to drag on until union members start losing their apartments and losing their houses. Another insider called it a cruel but necessary evil. Your response, sir.
3: Look, I think I think what, what the AMPTP is trying to do now is to take people who've already been taken advantage of and scare them into feeling that it could get worse and not better and make that fear overweigh our conviction. And the reality is, is that like, we as artists are used to living on the edge, so that doesn't really intimidate us. But there is a moral stance here, and I think well, when a lot of people think about um, Hollywood, they think about the one percent of Hollywood, not the not the teamsters, not IATSE, not the thousands and thousands of people who you'll never know who actually mm-hmm. make this machine run. Um, not just the actors, but most people can't name their favorite writers of their favorite movies. They can name, you know, they can name all the movies, but they can't name the writers. Those people are not rich people. They yep. are they are very, very middle class people. And they're trying to even get a mortgage. I mean, the, the idea that he thinks we're losing our houses. They don't have houses. we are <laughs> like, 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 we're renting. Talking about, you know? <laughs> but we also you know you, you think of that kind of a threat and you realize how out of touch multi mm. multi millionaires are with other with with regular working class people and that notion that that unbelievable apathy is a part of what we're also fighting here. It's not about actors, it's not about writers. It's about people who run this country, who work to like actually run it. Not the people who take credit for it, but the actual working class people that make this country run saying, hey, you know, I'm all for capitalism. I don't want unchecked capitalism. I don't want there to be an insane top and an unlivable bottom. You know, no one's arguing for, you know, well, I don't know, sometimes I'm like, fuck billionaires, give us all that money back. But <laughs> you know, like, I don't think I don't think anything that's being said on the union level is even remotely approaching unreasonable. And to be told by anyone who has that kind of wealth, that anyone sort of on on, on within the unions are being unreasonable is just a representation of their level of out of touchness with the regular, you know, like than the average person. And I, I, It would be amazing to me if somebody did this, like like the head of UPS did this and was like, our workers are trying to live their lives. They're being unreasonable. It's like, who are you talking about? You're talking about the person that delivers our mail. We like, we love these people. We see these people. We like, those are, those are people like us. And so I think there's, we're just approaching a moment here where it is so much more useful for us to look at all of this, these seemingly separate industries And see that there is a common thread taking place between them. And just, you know, there's some loud press around Hollywood people because there's some faces that you recognize, but the symptom and the circumstance is fundamentally the same. And so we're just reaching a point as a country where the philosophical question is, do we all think that we should all get to have a decent living and live live lives where we're not just in survival mode? And that's a question that just these generations are really gonna to have to start asking ourselves and what we're willing to do to push back upon a system that, if left unchecked, creates mega billionaires and then a class of people that are that are struggling to just just put food on the table. And I don't think that's I don't think that's the America that anybody wants.
1: I mean, it's an America that is our reality currently, and it is also a recipe for disaster you know, the fact is, is that that what has made America as a country, what has set us aside from other nations is the fact that we've had a robust middle class, right? And a robust middle class only comes from investment in, you know, social safety nets and investment and the the concerted effort that we have made to say that the least among us should, should be helped. Right. Like that is, that's why we have homeless shelters. That's why we have, you know, different agencies that are, are about protecting, you know, the least right among us. And when you look to other countries, when I've traveled around the world, I'm like, oh, this is what America would look like Mm. if we didn't, if we actually, people would be bathing in uh in the fountain you know on a regular basis and when i traveled through india and putting up babies to cars and i'm like because the level of poverty was unchecked because the fucking wealth right was out of control and unchecked and i think that the reality here is that you have these very oppressive forces at the top whether we're looking at politics writ large or you're looking at the politics of certain industries that have been allowed to say that be- you don't have and that's because you've made poor choices. Mm. You see, yeah. we don't actually look at the systems that created the lack of choices that people are faced with. It's like, oh, if you're a multi-billionaire, you're a genius and you've done all the right things, right? But if you are poor or working class, that's, well, that's your fault. You've just yep. made a series of bad decisions. Yeah, and so I wonder, yeah, please go ahead. Well, I was gonna
3: say, yeah, I mean, it's it's classic victim blaming, right? And it's this weird, we've, we've done this, we've done this, Sort of horrible addictive thing with entertainment in the last maybe decade or two where we've decided that really, really wealthy people are worth worship more so than ever, mm. and so we Come put on. them on this superhero pedestal when really the way we should look at people that are that wealthy is with extreme skepticism, how could you possibly yep. have acquired that much money while while actually doing right by the people that helped you get there and every time we've put we've peeled back the curtain what have we seen we've seen there's there's some we're, we're shipping work to another country where they can get around um, uh, taking care of, uh, of people who are working on their products. We've seen child labor. Like These are things that we've had to then come in and morally object to and punish companies for doing so that they'd stop doing it. And a lot of those companies are still around today only because we checked them and got them to stop doing it. But like a lot of the people that are in the conversation now that are the heads of the AMPTP, let's not forget who the fuck this is. This is Amazon and Apple. You want to pull mm-hmm. those receipts? on like how they are with people around the world, how they are with their workforces, Amazon's been trying to bust all their unions nonstop. You know, like these are mm-hmm. companies that are, that, that have a long track record of trying to exploit to whatever degree the the world of people will accept uh, workers so that their CEOs and their, and their shareholders make as much money as humanly possible. And the longer we kind of, look away from that and go, oh, that's that's just an anomaly and not becoming the pattern of the way in which we've set up our capitalist society. The longer we are, are sort of unaware of the shift that's happened, which used to be, you're going to be middle class, but you can always dream about being rich and that might happen too. You should just start dreaming about being middle class because that's now the dream. Like for millennials, that's the fucking dream is like-
2: Maybe, inshallah. I can be I'm, middle maybe, class.
3: Yeah. A, a, a fantasy. Maybe you yeah. will one day- pay off your house on a home if mm-hmm. you you know with your 8.5 you know 7.5 interest rate with a bank you know and who who among us has two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars to put down in california on a house very 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 few so now we're fantasizing about middle and we mm. slipped there mm, so quickly without mm. even asking because we had no example of it you know there's so many people who like our parents bought houses and paid it off for 30 years and that that Amount of time that takes is so long, we didn't realize that we're 10 years behind, 15 years behind, 20 years behind. Like, there is a massive shift in the ability to even function in society. And we're so untrained in our education system about 401ks and retirement and how to do your taxes and all these things that by the time we realize how badly we got fucked, we're 60 years old and we can't, and now we're just working until we drop. And so, there's a lot of awareness we have to just build about. Where are we at now versus the generation before versus the generation before? And what are the reasons that we've gotten to this place? And a lot of it is this unbelievable wealth that we've allowed to gather in very small, you know, in very singular pockets.
0: Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves, real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
2: Uh, you know, I am just uh, just finished reading Heather Cox Richardson's book because she's a historian who, who's going to be a guest on our show. And this goes back specifically 40 years to Reagan. And the politics of trickle-down where nothing trickled down, and there was a concentrated effort by Republicans to crush unions. In the past 40 years, worker productivity has gone up, but all those profits that have come as a result of Rafael and everyone else's work has gone straight to the top. And if you see a through line of history, and if you're a student of history, as you were saying, Rafael, you see that the empire always strikes back. The 1% always strikes back. And so looking at the future and what's really interesting about this writers and actors strike is we're seeing the forefront of AI and how it's a disrupting technology. And specifically, (laughs) I love how the fact that these people just straight up admit this, like they they don't realize they're supervillains. A couple of weeks ago, it was reported that a a proposal was that these streamers are going to pay an actor like you, Raphael, for one day's worth of work. They'll get your likeness. They will then own your likeness forever and perpetuity, and they will be able to do whatever they want with your likeness, and all you will get is one day's worth of pay. And as we are recording this, uh, The Intercept just dropped an article that said, while you all are starving and don't have homes, Netflix is paying one AI advisor $900,000. Talk to me about the future of AI when it comes to your survival. I mean, one, I think we have to sort of consider big companies
3: that will do anything to get profit, like a like a dog you're trying to keep from food on the other side of the yard. Like we have to train this <laughs> animal because it's, 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 it's unchecked greed. It has no, there's no, the only, the only wisdom that it has is the strategy to get to money fast. You know, but there's no, it's, it, if you've ever seen a dog do that, like they put on these, they don't hear their owner, they don't hear the world, they get this narrow focus and it's almost like it's just a pity at that point you go okay you're you're like a rabbit animal that's hungry and needs to consume and needs to consume and needs to consume never mind that other people may need that food um the idea of ai the idea of ai being this massive threat to us is sort of in, on par with another scare tactic a lot of these stories are to sort of show that we should settle because they have cheaper ways to sort of replace us i think they're also trying to scare us. But anyone who's gone on like chat GPT or played with AI knows that like, its least useful function is imagination. Its most useful function is analytics is, um, is research is market research is summarization is emails is, is really all the things that executives do like the the number one function that we would use ai for i think is to help run studios efficiently but it's not to replace creatives and the idea of exploiting actors for their likeness is like it's just a you know it's a massive union violation and they can play with it all they want to but like I, I don't I don't sit around and worry that any of those things are going to happen. I think they're just going to try everything and it just gives us more places to sort of focus our efforts. I, I think the idea of them hiring somebody for a million dollars to be their AI consultant is again proof that like they don't even understand the technology and they're just aware that it could save them money. And so they're going to investigate every possible way that they can get humans out of the equation. But the thing I've been saying the whole time we've been talking about AI, especially with like my brothers and sisters in, in the unions is, you know, remember that in the arts, like, like nursing, like any of the other, like teaching, like any of the other things that like, that we're getting squeezed dollar for dollar. And some, someone is trying to like get us for every penny is ultimately there is a human audience. There's a human that needs to be connected with on the other side. And that's always going to require like, especially art art is art is the expression of like of an aspect of the human condition that is unexplored but it's the human condition someone has to give it its validity and its truth and so as long as that relationship is happening there's always going to need to be humans in the equation of art we're always going to need teachers to interpret material for students because that's how we lo- learn in like in a society the idea that someone's going to try to come up with a convention to get rid of people is just Is just this old, you know, penny pinching, a penny pinching model that we need to find a way as a society to like start coming together and going. Where at what point do our values um, rise above the our our love for capital and wanting a society that like affords us capital? There's this great I can't remember what uh, how the quote goes, but it's about. the, the the reason the reason like societies don't rise up against up against like millionaires and billionaires is because we see ourselves um, not as exploited proletariats but as temporarily embarrassed millionaires um, and i love that i love that notion because it's this reminder that we like view our lives in terms of the potential of our upward mobility and not the value of our collective humanity and I, I think about that all the time when we put billionaires and multi multimillionaires on this celebratory pedestal. It's like we really need to be careful with who we worship because the equation is not like the amount of money you have equals the kind of positive human that you are. Generally speaking, there's a cap. You get to a place where there's a kind of financial success that should not beg celebration, but should beg the question, is this person doing right by the collective good? Um, in order for them to be able to thrive individually. And I, well, I look Rafael, at those-
2: Rafael, you've been, you've been doing great. that throughout your entire career and we appreciate you, you coming by. And the next time, I hope you'll join us. We'd love to talk about uh, your show, which uh, you can't promote right now because uh, you all are on strike, but specifically how you all have been able to talk about the plight of the working class in the East Bay and how you all tackle the prison industrial complex. So I'm hoping- The strike is resolved. It resolves in your favor. Uh, I appreciate your time and and all the work you've been doing. And thank you for coming by, uh, especially as you all have been busy uh, and educating us and our audience. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate talking to you both.
1: Thank you for listening to Democracy-ish. I'm Danielle Moody.
2: I'm Ali.
1: And we will be back next week if, in fact, we have a country left. Inshallah.